0: have a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and open up to the book of Daniel chapter 9. If you need a Bible, you can grab one from the seat right in front of you. Uh, Daniel is on page 746. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to continuing this series that we've been doing over the last couple of months, uh, this Old Testament series called Wavering People, Unwavering God, because that's what you see over and over again in the book of Daniel, that, uh, that we have this tendency to just kind of waver back and forth, uh, and, and yet God is unwavering, right? Like he is consistent, he is persistent in the way that he engages with us. Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, recently, I had uh, to get underneath my front porch uh, that kind of leans out in the front of our uh, house. I had to repair a little fence thing that had fallen down, and uh, i just be honest with you, I hate going underneath the front porch of the house, uh, and it's because, you know, not because I'm, like, I'm afraid of the dark or anything like that, I, uh, I really do not like things that thrive in the dark, though. Uh, Have you come across these in your Chicago homes, these like demonic little silverfish bugs, right? I mean, have you ever seen any of these crawling up in your, they're here, if you haven't seen them, they are there, uh, and they haunt your dreams, the stuff of Satan. Um, You've seen them walking through our our home, I remember, Courtney, recently we saw one on our bedroom pillow, Uh, and my first thought was, burn the house down, that's, burn it down, we'll get the insurance money, that's all, that's all we have left. Um, because these things are horrible. I mean, it's not the only, you know, creepy things that live in the dark. You also got these like deep sea creatures. Have you ever seen those things, like on the uh, ocean specials? You're like, what? What on earth is this? Is this alien? Is this, is this, a, is this real life? Or this goblin shark thing? Why? Why did? Do, why does this exist? Or this cave spider I found? This isn't Harry Potter. This is real life. This thing exists in caves that in like in the dark places, somebody encounters some horrifying creature like this. And as a Christian, I've wondered, and maybe you have too in the past, like, what is the point of these things? Why on earth do they, why do they exist? Why, why, why would, you know, we, we believe God creates things. Why would he create something so horrifyingly creepy to live in these dark spaces? And, and, and as I have been thinking and pondering these deep things, uh, as, as a pastor and Christian for many uh, years, I have uh, come to what I think is a profound conclusion, a universal truth that uh, is very plain to me. Icky things live in the dark. Gross things live in the dark. These kinds of like poisonous things live in the dark. There's something about being in those spaces where you know they're around you and you just can't see them. It makes my skin crawl. And the reason I'm bringing this up, though, today is because while that's true in this, like, physical space that we embody and live in, I think this idea that things live in the dark is also true in our spiritual lives. I, there, there is a sense in which we have these dark places in our hearts and minds where uh, things seem to hide and thrive. Things that may be spiritually poisonous. Right? They, they love the dark. and They want to stay there. And the passage we're looking at today, Daniel chapter 9, is describing this process of shedding light on those dark places in our lives. Those things that are hidden. And if we're honest, we would rather stay hidden. We're going to talk about this thing called Confession, and I realize even as we get started that that's a word that kind of hits all of us differently. We all have maybe a different kind of experience with the word uh, confession. It may be a word that uh, tends to bring up a lot of shame, or even some like weird memories, or memories you haven't thought of in a long time. Some of you may even think of uh, going to a booth in the back of a church and going into this little room to confess things to a priest. Others of you may hear that word confession and you think of getting caught or or found out or having to admit something that you'd rather not share, something like this, whatever it is that you associate with the word confession, it's generally not something that tends to make us feel very good. Tend to be those things that we want to stay uh, hidden and keep hiding from other people. And yet, when we look at this biblical practice of confession... We view it in the right way instead of heaping on shame and, and guilt and this desire to stay hidden, we are invited to view this process of confession, which again is that it 's a word that means a lot of different things to us. We are invited to see it as a process that can be rich and have this almost healing impact in our lives. Much in the same way that if you've, you've ever seen a movie in the afternoon, like gone to the theater, see a movie in the afternoon. As soon as you walk out of the theater, it's like your eyes hurt for a second because you're adjusting from this really dark theater into the light of everything else. And there's that initial painful moment. But once you get past that, you actually see everything with clarity. You, you see things as they actually are. And this is part of what confession does. Right? Instead of being this shameful process, it can have this healing impact in our lives. And so here's how I want to use our time Uh, This morning we're going to read through the first half of Daniel chapter nine. It's a longer passage, but I think it's important for us to just see all of the different elements that are in here. Uh, Daniel is kind of offering himself and his story uh, as a model for what confession is and what it looks like. And as we unpack this story, we're going to see three lessons on the art of confession that help us understand what this is and how to do it. And my hope is that when we're done with our time uh, today, I know. there'll be a lot of questions left unanswered. When we're done, though, I hope that confession will no longer be this strange, kind of like, you know, you know ancient practice but, uh, that, that brings about shame. But we will see it as something that is uh, freely offered to us, life-giving and even freeing. Now, before we get started, I do want to say one thing uh, so that we don't get confused. I want to say that the kind of confession that we're talking about today Uh, the kind of confession we're talking about today has to do with those areas of our lives where we have fallen short, where we have sinned and missed the mark. I'll explain more about that in a couple moments. But I am not talking about those things that you may have experienced or that were done to you at the hands of others. And I'm calling this out intentionally because I think in talking about confession, I could end up communicating unintentionally that things like, Trauma or abuse, things that can also be hidden away in dark places for very different reasons uh, that need to be dealt with in a way different from what we see Daniel talking about in Daniel chapter 9. And I, While I firmly believe that the scriptures do give us wisdom and insight and clarity about how to talk about those kinds of painful experiences... That's not what Daniel 9 is talking about. He's getting after particularly these areas where we have fallen short and sinned. He's talking about our uh, baggage that, that, of things that we have done. All right, that said, let me read this passage. We'll pray and then we'll go ahead and get started. Daniel chapter 9. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. I'm going to move through this uh, together. Verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, by a descendant of Mede, who was king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Pause. We're going to come back to unpack that first part next week as we look at the end of Daniel chapter 9. Verse three, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those uh, who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong, have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them. And because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. Because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. We have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. By walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants and uh, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law. Turned aside. Refused to obey your voice. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities, gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept us ready, the calamity that has, he has brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he's done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned and done wickedly. Which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray. Father, even just a few moments ago, we were uh, invited in saying the words, Be still, oh my soul. And so we want to do that in this moment. We want to be still. For some of us, it's a, it's a strange practice. We are not used to slowing down. But we ask that in uh, these moments, you would speak to us. God, you have the power to do far more than just challenge our thinking, but you can change our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, you can speak directly to us And so we ask that you would do that in in this time we have together. Father, that as we talk about this practice of confession, recognizing that as soon as that word comes up, some of us know immediately of things that we have hidden, stored away. The dark places of our lives that we have not told another soul about. Father, we pray that you would do the work of bringing these things to light, that as you do, you would bring healing and restoration. Lord, some of us are just reluctant to even uh, entertain a conversation about confession because we immediately go to the consequence of what might happen if someone else found out about this thing or that piece of our lives. Lord, you invite us to walk openly, honestly, before you. And so we pray that you would be our help. We pray that you would show us your kindness. We trust you to use this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, let's go ahead and get started. got a couple things that we need to work through uh, this morning. Like I said, there's a lot of ground to cover, and so I'm going to try and move through this quickly. And what we're going to do at the back half of our gathering uh, today is take some time to reflect. We're actually going to join and do the very thing that Daniel is doing by reading and saying a corporate confession together that's built off of the language we find in this chapter. But before we get there, uh, I just want to kind of level the playing field. What is confession? What is this thing that we are uh, talking about? Look with me at verse 3 real quick. Verse 3. Daniel says, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. See, the first thing that Daniel wants us to see when we look at this, uh, this passage, Daniel chapter 9, is that the practice of confession is closely tied to this idea of prayer or just, just approaching God. In fact, confession is a very general word uh, that in the original language, which is Hebrew, not English, uh, it's a word that just means to acknowledge or to recognize, right? And that's essentially what confession is. It recognizes what is true about God and true about us. A helpful way to think about it is this, and I know this is very broad, but it'll be helpful. Confession is saying back to God what he already knows to be true. Confession is saying back to God what he already knows to be true. It is not informing God of anything. It is not, uh, not giving him new information that he doesn't already have. It is affirming that we see what he already sees. And I think it's important for us to pause here for a moment because uh, we need to put this in context of everything else that we already know about God from the rest of Scripture. Scripture. Because what we imagine God to be like will have a profound impact on how we understand confession. Right? Like it, it makes a huge difference if you think you are practicing confession in front of God as this angry authoritarian figure who is just trying to catch you doing wrong right at the last minute and prevent you from doing anything that you actually want to do versus seeing him as a loving parent, a father who knows you and wants what is good for you. Depending on how you imagine God and what you think he is like, it's going to have a huge impact on what you think of this process of confession. And and for me personally, I think it's helpful to go back to the Old Testament book of the Psalms, because there we see often the the character of who God is and what he is like on display. Two things particularly come to mind. God's kindness. Psalm 145. It's on the screen behind me. See that God is gracious and merciful Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. You skip down a little bit to verse 14 through 16. It says, you open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Right? And, I mean, that first part is one of the most often repeated phrases about God in the Old Testament. That God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Love. Here's the second thing that comes to mind from the Psalms, right? That God knows each one of us perfectly. Psalm 139, I think, captures this really well. It says, oh Lord, you have searched me, you have known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, uh, and, and are acquainted with all my ways, Right? And so just the, those two passages in the Psalms, right, where we see God is abounding, overflowing in steadfast love. And in that love, as part of that love, he knows us perfectly. And the point I'm trying to make is that this is the God uh, that we are invited to confess to. Let describe it this way. My son is about five years old, or four years old. He'll be four in May. Uh, and so he 's just getting to that age where i 'll no longer be able to use him as sermon illustrations, but until then he 's a gold mine okay? uh, he, he, he 's a terrible liar. My son is a terrible liar, which I guess is a good thing uh, we 're working on some bedtime routines in our home right now we 're kind of at that uh, stage of, of parenting and we 've got this you know, same conversation that we 're having week after night after night after night with him he 's got a night light in his room, and when it, it turns on to the yellow. Right? That means he's supposed to get in his bed. I feel I could not be more clear about this instruction to my son. He apparently feels differently that this is entirely up to his own decision making and he can get in bed whenever he wants to. Uh, So we've been having some conversations about this. His main problem is that he tends to get so lost in his own imaginary world uh, when his light is yellow that he doesn't recognize these cascading explosive noises he's making with his mouth as his cars crash into each other, get thrown across the room, spill off Off the bed. He doesn't recognize all of the sound that he's making as he jumps off and is uh, getting lost in his own uh, world. But I've noticed that when I walk up to his room, he's smart enough to hear me now. He can hear me coming. Still not smart enough to be quiet, um, but he's smart enough to hear me. And I can hear him drop everything. You know, wipe stuff off the bed, jump onto his bed, it crashes against the wall, he rips the covers in front of him, and then I walk in the room and he's like this. Every time. And it, I don't know how he doesn't crack, like he doesn't, make, he doesn't smile, he doesn't do anything, like he is perfectly still. And the thing is, every time he's, he's done this, he's absolutely convinced he's fooled me. He's never once been close, but he's absolutely convinced that he's like totally, you know, he's pulled the rug over my, you know, he, that he's gotten away with this thing and he's never been close. And so when I pop into his room and I ask him, buddy, what are you doing? And he's laying there like this, not saying anything. What, what I'm doing is I, I, I am inviting him to say back to me what I already know to be true about him, right? I'm inviting him to, to come and tell me what I already know to be true. And the thing is, the thing is, I want him to do this. I actually want him to be honest with me. I want him to bring this thing into the light, this disobedience we're working through, uh, that, that's hiding in the darkness. I, I, I want him to do this. Because I love him and I want what is good for him. I'm not just trying to get him out of my hair so I can get a break. I want him to uh, to, to be able to get the rest that he needs. And so we've put these structures in place for his good. And it's out of my love for him that I want him to openly talk with me about what is happening. And you see, in a sense, this is what confession is. It is God, out of his steadfast love for us, inviting us to be open and honest with him, to say back to him what he already knows to be true of us. Because without it, without that kind of confession, we're lying, we're hiding. We just kind of feel this shame that tends to compound over and over again. We end up staying in the dark. Some of us you know, may be thinking like, Man, come on, Dan, I don't really resonate with all that like, emotional baggage stuff that we feel. But I think every single one of us knows the full weight of what it's like to stand before a friend, a spouse, a family member, and know there is something deep that you are hiding from them. We know the impact that that has just on the way that we uh, view and engage in that relationship. It feels like something is not there. It's not real. And part of the fear is what happens when this person sees what's really happening in my life. If I let them into this area. We know uh, the relational weight and damage that can do. So we talk about guilt as a weight We're trying to put words to what it feels like to walk in darkness out of fear of what would happen if we brought something to light. From the beginning, what we need to see, before we get into anything else in this passage, we need to see that the art of of confession starts with us seeing God who wants and desires real and true relationship with us. That he wants real and true relationship. And so he invites us into this kind of real relationship where we can be open and honest about what we, we have going on in our lives. And in a sense, we say back to him what he already knows to be true. This happens through confession. Now, let's look at Daniel chapter 9 and what we're going to see briefly in the time we have left three lessons, three lessons about the art of confession, how it happens, how it works, what it does. We start with the first one, the first lesson. Confession focuses on God's goodness and our sinfulness. It's a loaded word. We're going to get to that in a second. Confession focuses on God's goodness and our sinfulness or brokenness. Look at with me at how Daniel starts the end of verse 4. Verse 4, he says this, O oh Lord, uh, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him uh, and keeps His commandments. All right, This sets the tone from the very beginning of, of, of who God is and what He is like. And Daniel's going to come back to this uh, same idea in different ways throughout the rest of this prayer. Verses 14 and 15, he'll say uh, this. For the Lord our God is righteous in all His works that, that He has done. Our uh, o, o Lord our God who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, You have made a name for yourself and so it's going to focus first on God's goodness who he is and what he is like but then Daniel changes the focus and confession changes its focus to our failure our brokenness and sinfulness that while God is this way we tend to be that way right and that's what we've been talking about in this series that we are wavering and God is unwavering and so again verse 4 Right after talking about, uh, you know, the great and awesome God, he says this. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And I, th- I think this is where that whole process of confession gets kind of it just it gets messy. And it's hard because confession requires that we have this honest and realistic view of ourselves, not as perfect people, but in a lot of ways, deeply flawed, Right? In the, the biblical worldview, humanity is not basically good. We are not basically good with just a few bumps in the road every now and then. We are fundamentally flawed. And Daniel uses some very specific language in verse 5 to capture all of this, that word sinned in verse 5. is a word, uh, you might uh, have heard this before, it's a, it's a word that means to miss the mark. It's like the image of an arrow being shot at a target, but the arrow doesn't, doesn't hit the mark, it misses. Right? And, and, and this, what it points to is this idea that God has created us for a certain way of life. He has created a way for us to, uh, to live, and on our own, we, we miss that way. We, we've missed it. Daniel says, We've done wrong, we've acted wickedly. And I think this gets to our actions. Right, meaning that, that in our actions, often we hurt people, whether intentionally, unintentionally. Maybe more than we'd like to admit, we intentionally hurt other people uh, with our words, things we've said or done to or around them. He calls it out, like wicked, evil. He says, we've rebelled. And this picks up on the larger story of the Bible that speaks of us rejecting God's rule and reign and uh, choosing to uh, live to our own standards, our own set of rules, make our own way. He says we've turned aside, which is getting after that same idea that we, we chart our own course forward. And that might be one of the most prominent cultural themes today, that we have the ability to define what is good, right and true. And we are going to walk in what we say it is. And Daniel is coming along and demonstrating confession. He's saying, hey, there's, there's something off here. The sum total of all this is captured in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, really well. It says this, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. The sum total of everything that Daniel's talking about in verse 5 is spiritual death, bankruptcy. And in this first lesson on the art of confession, we see uh, that we, we are to hold up what we know to be true of God. Great, awesome, righteous, good, right, true, beautiful. Hold up what we know to be true of us. And realize that there is a vast gap between us and him. A vast gap between us and him where he is perfectly holy, righteous, and good. And we are not. Lesson one, confession focuses on God's goodness and our sinfulness. Number two, confession is based on on God's justice. Confession is based on God's justice, and this is a really nuanced point. I think it's something that we can easily miss, and at some level, it's going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable in what we talk about here, but uh, hang in there with me. Look at me at verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law, turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. Daniel says that because God's people have missed the mark, they are now experiencing God's Uh, They're experiencing God's judgment. Now, you have to think back with me for a moment to the beginning of this series when we talked about how Daniel got uh, to the place they currently are at. They're living in exile, remember. Right, Daniel and many others are living in exile, a foreign land. They've been forcibly removed from their homes, forced to live under the rule and reign of a foreign power, the Babylonian and Persian empires. And this was in direct fulfillment of what God said would happen to the people of Israel if they rejected him, if they turned away from him to follow something else. But you see, this is not just an example of God being petty or deciding to arbitrarily punish people who do not obey his rules. no. And actually, what this is showing us is, it is far deeper, that God is one who deeply cares about what is just, right, and true. Right? That he is not simply willing to overlook the sin and evil that has been committed by his own people. They don't just get a free pass to go on and do whatever they want. And while we are sometimes uncomfortable with the idea of God's judgment, we have to remember that that is directly tied to our idea of justice And we want a God who is just. We want a God who cares about justice, who is going to do what is right and punish what is wrong. We want him to do something about the evil that we see in the world around us. Desperately, we want him to act. The problem is when we recognize that we too fall under this category. The Daniel, in a way, is talking about us in verse 5. And he says, we have sinned. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. We have rebelled and turned aside. And that this gap between who God is and who we are means that we, we are rightly open to his judgment. It's an outflow of his justice. Or that he has set up a standard, a way for us to live and we have not met it. And God's justice demands that something be done to make it right. The second lesson we see in the Art of Confession is that confession is ba- the need for it is based on God's justice. Because He is just, because He is righteous. Here's the third one. Confession is rooted. In God's mercy. Confession is rooted in God's mercy. Look at me at verse 17. All right, and this is after Daniel has spoken about what is true of God. What is true of us. That is uh, God's justice demands that something be done. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God. Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake but make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear; Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. At the very end here, we see that Daniel can bring all of these things Before God. Because he is sure of God's mercy. That is a loving father who is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because because Daniel sees God that way. Knows that to be true of him. He offers to us what we uh, have not earned. What we do not deserve on our own. See, Rooted not in our righteousness. uh, Because on our own we have none. He offers confession uh, rooted in God's great mercy. And a helpful way to think about it is like this. Mercy is when God does not give us what we do deserve. In confession, we are coming before God to say to him what is true of him, what is true of us. And one of the things that we have seen true of us in Tangle 9 is that because of our failure, we deserve judgment. But you see, in not giving us what we do deserve, God's mercy means that his judgment passes over us. It means the wrath that Daniel spoke of is not poured out on us. It means that because and it's not because he simply decides that he's going to let these things go or that they don't actually matter. They're not that big of a deal. No. Right? Like we already saw, that would be an affront to God's justice. If he just picks and chooses what he's going to take seriously, then he is arbitrary. He's not just See, so the amazing thing about God's mercy is not that he skips over uh, wrath and justice, but that it's poured out on another. I find it so interesting. Verse 16. It's the language that Daniel uses here. He asks the Lord to turn, uh, have his anger and his wrath turn away from Jerusalem and from the holy hill. But See, friends, the reason God does do that, the reason... Why he does turn away in this moment is because there is another who would enter Jerusalem. There is another who would stand up on the holy hill outside of Jerusalem and to take on the fullness of God's wrath, the fullness of his judgment. You see, I can say confession is rooted in God's mercy because the whole story of the Bible is pointing forward to the person and work of Jesus who would ultimately be the opposite of everything Daniel says is true of us. That Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, perfectly obedient to all of what God has called us to do. Never once missing the mark, never once turning aside. And yet, Jesus is the one who lovingly and willingly entered Jerusalem knowing full well it would end in his death. He was the one who was crucified on that holy hill to take on himself the judgment that we deserve. Dying in our place for our sin. And the way that the New Testament tells the story of Jesus' death, it's like it's uh, all of these lights flashing and saying, this is what is happening here. First John 2, 2. It says, he is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The word propitiation, obviously not one we use at all today. It's a word that speaks to the process of removing wrath. What this is saying is that on the cross, Jesus is removing God's wrath because he is willingly taking it on himself. As we celebrated last week, We know the cross did not end with Jesus' death, but his resurrection and victory over death itself and all of this, so that we would, by faith, be able to experience a new kind of relationship with God, a restored kind of relationship with God. That when you place your faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection, seeing him as the propitiation for your sin, we receive God's mercy. We are invited to bring to light those things that exist the dark places of our uh, inner world. So much so, First John, again, says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this third lesson about confession, perhaps the most important one we see is confession is rooted in God's great Mercy. So let me close with this. What, what do we do with any of this? First of all, I want you to go back to think of that story when I'm standing in front uh, in, in my son's room and I'm asking him to confess. I'm asking him, inviting him to say back to me what I already know to be true. So I'm doing that out of a place of love and care for him, and this is what is happening in confession. Our father, who is slow to anger, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who knows us perfectly, is inviting us to say back to him what he already knows to be true. Why? Because he's inviting us to shed light on those things that exist in the dark places of our hearts and minds. The things that we carry with us that continue and perpetuate guilt, and shame, and fear, and confession. He's saying, look, this is not the life that I have for you. This is not the life that I have for you. Following Jesus is not an exercise in shame of desperately trying to convince everybody else around you that you really didn't need and don't need that much of God's grace and mercy. Now, confession is a way that we come before God, walk in the light, and say, God, you know me perfectly. I recognize these areas of my life. We begin to see healing. Begin to see shame taken away as we see Jesus is the one who has taken on our guilt, who has taken on our shame. It's no longer ours to bear my hope is that confession would be a regular practice for us as followers of Jesus. That it would be part of our regular uh, lives in becoming more like Jesus. Not, I'm not inviting you to come to my office and confess things all the time. Right? Like, that's not the point. The point is that as we look to our God who has made a way for us to come before him, he invites us in that space to confess. I, to see First John one nine not as uh, wishful thinking, but as a promise that if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive, and we begin to see that uh, relationship rest- restored. And that confession is not just something we, we, we do before God. Because we recognize that things that we have hidden, things that we hide away, have may, may maybe have a profound impact on those around us. And there may be things uh, that come to mind even now that you need to confess to a spouse, a loved one, a small group. And in part of bringing it to light is knowing that, that we do not uh, carry our burdens on our own. We do this in community. And the Christian community, we, we're reminded uh, that, that we look to, to, uh, to others not first as people who are, uh, you know, holier than we are, but flawed as we are. Working, growing, and in process of becoming more like Jesus. Every single one of us has things we are wrestling through, we're struggling with. The beauty of Christian community is we say together, yeah, I'm struggling too. So I invite you to practice confession. With your spouse, your family, with your small group, as we bring to light what is hidden. And that does not mean there will be no consequence. It doesn't mean that you know we, we get a hey hey I'm just doing confession. So what I'm about to tell you, you can't get mad at. That's not how this works. It may have a deep impact. But in the context of our God who is able to bring healing and restoration, we see that the same gospel that brings healing to us is able to bring healing to uh, the relationships that we have. Confession is not it's not about uh, putting forward this perfect image of who we are. It's about looking to our God who knows us perfectly, loves us perfectly, and invites us to be open and honest with him. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to practice confession and do the very thing that Daniel is doing as we will stand and we will read through a confession together. This is kind of a new thing for us at Forest Glen. We haven't done it in the last several years, but uh, for generations, followers of Jesus have taken Daniel's cue in confessing together together. Recognizing that there are areas where we have failed, but collectively we look back uh, to our God who invites us to confess being rooted in in His mercy. We'll do that in a moment and then we will take opportunity to uh, receive communion together. And again, communion is this uh, rehearsing of the story of the gospel together, that as we uh, look to the bread and the juice, we remember Jesus' body and his blood uh, that was shed so that we might be forgiven, uh, that, that he was crucified in our place for those very things that we would rather keep hidden. And so we've created this whole moment at the end of our service. I want to invite the uh, musicians to come back up as we prepare for this. And what we're doing is taking time to reflect, pray, think, and sing. As we look to the gospel, we look to where we have failed. But we find our hope in God's goodness. Friends, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness thank you that as we uh, open up and and look at a a passage that is just is challenging because as soon as we start talking about confession there there are areas of all of our lives but we know we're, we're holding on to something that we have not brought to light father we pray that by your grace you would remind us that you bring healing you bring restoration Lord, we want to confess to you that we might take hold of the life you have for us, not laden with guilt and shame, but take hold of life that is truly life as we walk in light. So in these next couple moments, as we sing or reflect or pray or whatever we're doing, God, we pray that you would speak to us. We trust you to use this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.